This is Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm so glad you've joined us this morning. My name is Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. Now, I want to make a comment because this is a uh, very high, for some of you, holy day. I just want you to know I am repping the team. I am fair weather as it comes. Uh, So if you are in the opposing colors, you are welcome here as well, okay? This is a place of grace and welcome, so wherever, whatever, whoever you may be cheering for today, uh, you, are, you are more than welcome. Well, we're in a sermon series, we're wrapping it up today, called Playbook for Making a Difference, and I have a question that I'd like to ask this morning of you. It's an important question. Does anyone here want to live a life that doesn't make a difference? Anybody? That's one of those questions that, of course, the answer is, well, duh, only if you are in a place of deep despair do you think about your life and say, you know what, I don't really want to make a difference, I'm in too much pain. But anyone who is not currently in a moment of despair wants their life to count. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Now, the the million-dollar question is, okay, I want to do that, how is it that I do that. We're going to talk about that a bit this morning, and then I want to also tell you that next week we're starting this sermon series called The Power of Purpose. Actually, um, this entire year we're focused on you making a difference. God loves you, and I as your pastor have a wonderful plan for your life. Um, Some of you just caught that. Uh, I want you to find out in 2024 how you can make a difference with your life, a tangible understanding of how that actually happens. And so next uh, Sunday, we're starting a series called The Power of Purpose. Now, I'd love for you, if you would, to take out your phone and snap a picture of the screen right there. If you're watching online, uh, if you're driving, please don't do this. But if you're sitting at home and snap a picture of the screen. And this week, would you invite someone, send them a text message, say, my pastor said uh, that you would probably love this or, or something more helpful than that. But just make an invite 
to someone in your life that is struggling to find purpose or you know would benefit from finding purpose. And we're going to talk about, over the course of that series, three people in the scriptures who were going through great difficulty, and they were able, by understanding their purpose, to make it to the other side. And so we're going to talk about that. In fact, all of our series uh, this year are about making a difference. But today, we're wrapping up this series on a playbook for making a difference. Now, we have, as a church, this very audacious goal and vision. We want to reach 1% of Wichita. Wichita has six, depending on where you look, six to 700,000 people in the environs around Wichita. And we want to reach 1% of them. We want to be a church that helps to quarterback hope in the heartland. And so that's as much about who it is that we want to reach, the difference we want to make in their life. But what I've discovered is that when you set out to make a difference in someone else's life, that you are transformed as you do it. So that's a goal both for who we want to reach in our city and for the transformation that can happen in your life as you are a part of that, because we want to be a church that makes a difference. So the subtitle for this series is a Forgotten Doctrines That Change the World. And, and what I want to talk to you about today is a, a doctrine of the church that the early church used religiously. And it's one that we usually don't at all. In fact, it's a doctrine that built the New Testament church. If you have ever read the New Testament and you've read the Gospels, or you've read the letters of Paul, or Peter, or of John, and you've gone, wow, this is really good. It's because the early followers of Jesus took this seriously. The result is you're today reading what they wrote because of how they lived out this doctrine. And it's a doctrine that let everybody play a part in making a difference. Do you want to do that with your life? So here's what we're going to do. Random Sunday in February, I'm going to do my best to give you a teaching about the, the local church, how it's meant to be structured, how it's meant to be led, so that together we can make a difference. Here's, as we're saying we want to reach 1%, we want to be the kind of church that people are a part of, and through being a part of it, they find healing, and they find purpose. We're one of the churches that people say is a source of life in our community. There are plenty of churches uh, there are a small percentage that get all of the press about doing horrible things, and we need to hold people accountable who do those things. And anybody who's a victim of that, we need to stand with the victims on that. But we want to be in the larger percentage of churches that say, we are here for our community in the name of Jesus, and together we're going to make a difference. We want to be that kind of a church. They've done studies, and uh, I'll give you two examples, that there is an actual a financial impact to a local community for a local church that takes the mission of Jesus seriously. There was a study done in North Carolina of rural churches, and these are small rural churches, and they found that the average rural church in North Carolina, which is not very large at all, uh, has an economic impact every year of $735,000, just counseling and help and meals and and tires on cars for single moms and all of the things that the government would have to pay for, $735,000. Similar study was done of a larger church, 1,000 plus people in the UK, and they found that the economic impact was around $4 million. So when we do what it is that Jesus asks us to do and we make a difference, we make a tangible difference because what a local church does when it works well, it's a network of support and love that holds a community up. And we want to be that. So three, three questions I have for you as we work through how it is that you can make a difference. Number one, in the local church, who gets to play? 
Number two, what's happening to you when you do play? And then number three, what's the end? Who gets to play? What's happening to you when you do? What's the end? Who gets to play? Well, I need to give you some background of the New Testament. I don't know how familiar you are with the New Testament. Some of you are very familiar. Some of you are not at all. The New Testament is first Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the four Gospels, four witnesses of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, um, biographies, if you want to call them that. And then the, the next book is, uh, is Acts, which is the Acts of the first disciples of Jesus. They went out and they started churches. And then what you find in the latter parts then of the New Testament are these letters that were written to all of these churches that all these disciples of Jesus started. And one of the main writers of those letters was the Apostle Paul. And, and what's interesting is if you read Paul's letters, is that almost all of them, he addresses very, very specific issues. If you've ever read the book of Corinthians, it's a bit like a Jerry Springer show. Um, and he says specific things. He says, like, hey, listen, you're spending time with your stepmother in a way you ought not stop. Um, or in Galatians, he says to them, now listen, you've, you started out by grace, but now you're trying to earn your ways. Don't do that. He'll routinely call people out. In Philippians, he uh, references, I'll, I'll call them um, Nancy and Karen. He's like, could Nancy and Karen please get along, is what he basically says. Except when you get to the book of Ephesus that Paul wrote to the Christians in ancient Turkey, the city of Ephesus, there's none of that. There's not any specific situations called out. No people are called by a specific name. And so what scholars have said is, okay, well, I think that what that means is then that Paul is explaining, because all those letters would be sent to a church, and then they would be passed to another church, and then they would read, oh, this is how we're to, this is how we're to live out the message of Jesus together. And so Ephesus would have been, that letter to Ephesus would have been sent many places. And so People say, okay, well, so what Paul was doing is he was explaining in Ephesus how the church is to operate and who it is that gets to play. In other words, Ephesus is a template for how the church is to operate. Now, stay with me. This is a bunch of, bunch of biblical background, and I want you to stay with me here. So here's what, here's what Paul does. He ties the operation of the church to the person of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why he says, and this is kind of weird thing. We go, what is this about? Is when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. Now we're like, what in the world? What, what, is he, what are you talking about? This is the language of a court, a, a king's court. Because when, uh, when Charles was crowned the king of England, do you know what he did? You know, they even said it, I think, as they were describing it. He, he uh, he ascended to the throne. It's a, it's a way of saying he took his place. He became the one who was in charge. So he's, Jesus, Paul says, like, listen, Jesus ascended, meaning he's in charge. And his first act of, of administering his kingdom was to share the resources and the authority of the kingdom by giving gifts to his people. So he ascended and he gave gifts to people. Okay, well, what does Jesus give to people. Jesus gives what he has to people. What does Jesus have? The gift Jesus gives is himself. Stay with me here, okay? You're gonna, this is all going to tie together in a moment. So let me say it to you like this. If you're taking notes, there's a blank you can fill in. The church operates on the gifts of Jesus, and everybody gets to play. 
Notice what he says there. He says he gave us grace. It's how it's translated. It's really the meaning of the word there is gift. To each of us, he gave gifts as uh, gifts have been given as Christ apportioned them to us. So in other words, Jesus takes himself, his gifts, and he portions them out to his people. So you get some, and you get some, and you get some, and you get some, and you get some. And Jesus is portioning out his gifts to the church. And, and Paul says there are five of those gifts that Jesus gives to the church. Jesus gives to the church his ability to lead. He gives to the church his ability to hear God's voice. He gives to the church his ability to bring good news to people. He gives to the church his ability to care and love people. He gives to the church his ability to train and send out people. And Paul has some interesting language that he uses. Um, if you're familiar with this, you've heard this before, but if you're not, maybe this is you hear it for the first time. He talks about five gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. How many of you have taken one of those personality profiles? Of all, there's all different kinds. There's DISC, there's the Enneagram, there's the Myers-Briggs. Any of you taken those for work? Or, you know, and, and you take those tests and you, you try to find yourself and you go, oh, I'm like that. This is kind of like a New Testament version of that. And I want you, as we talk about these things, to understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, one of these is given to you as a base gift. Jesus is all of these things, but Jesus gives one of them to you. And I want you to listen, and I want you to understand, okay, which one am I? Which one am I? So let me, let me parse these for you and see if you can't see your place that you get to play. First one he says is the apostle. And the apostle is uh, literally, tra- the word translated means a sent one. So an ap- apostle is someone who is a mission-focused person. Are you a mission-focused person? Like you're always zeroed in on the end, like the goal, like that's, you think about nothing else, but you're like the mission. They're a person who goes to new places and is willing to forge new paths. The, the apostle likes to go first. How many of you in school, when the teacher said, class, here's the question, you were the, like, you were the first one. Any of you, right? You're likely an apostle because you love to go first and you're willing to help change things. You're, you're a leader, and, and honestly, you're invigorated by all of those things. That's why we, he's called the Apostle Paul, because that's what Paul did. If you know his journey, he was always going and starting something new. I'll, I'll give you a, more, a little more contemporary version of this. Just south of us is Oklahoma, and I'm sorry if you've ever been there. And, um, but if you know how it started, uh, I offended several people. <laughs> If you know how it started, there was, there was, it was native land was stolen, and that's another story, but it was, there was the Oklahoma land rush. I've got a picture I found of, it's very, very blurry because they didn't have high def back then. I don't know if you know that, but you can see a very vague picture. If you were to Google this online, you'd find pictures of the, the start of the Oklahoma land rush, and all of these people who loved to go first rode off at a gunshot and claimed land. That, that's what an apostle does. He's like, let's go. Come on. It's something new. Let's go. You might, if you found someone with the gift of, a, of, of apostle, the base gift, because Jesus shares his gifts with everybody, they would be the entrepreneur or the visionary. They would be the, the business owner who likes to start new things. It'd be a nonprofit leader who loves to see things happen and change in a community. The char- here's the characteristics of an apostle. They're usually bold and loud. They're often extroverted. They're excited. They're fun-loving. 
they go, here's what they do. They go and they find the frontier. And they, they say, we're going to claim this ground. It's going to be ours. You know you've been around someone who has the gift of apostle because if you've ever been around a leader who helped you change, even if you went kicking and screaming and yet you did it, that was an apostle. I'll give you a modern example, I think. There's a pastor that he retired just a couple of years ago. His name was Rick Warren. He pastored a church out in California called Saddleback Church. Uh, He started doing something around church that changed how churches across, literally around the world, do church in our day. He was an apostle. And he created conferences, wrote a book. Maybe you uh, read The Purpose Driven Life. He He changed the game. And people, he changed how things, that's what, that's what apostles do. Apostles, for an apostle, the most important thing is that the mission gets done. Is that you? Jesus is the perfect, now Jesus is the perfect apostle. He's the perfect sent one from God. And what Jesus does is he shares that gift with a few of us. Second uh, gift that Paul says is the prophet. And the prophet is the person who helps us to hear God's voice The prophet always reminds us, this is what the Lord has said, and we need to go do it. What the prophet, the gift the prophet offers is the prophet keeps us honest, and the prophet always wants to tell us the truth in light of what God says. Now, I don't mean the prophet in the sense that they know the future as much as they say, here is what God has said, and we're not living in line with it. And, And if you're around a person who is a base gift prophet, they sometimes annoyingly hold your face in front of the truth. And and the reason they do it when they're mature is because they say, we need to hear God's voice. We need to understand what it is that God says. And if you encounter someone who has the the prophet as their base gift in the wild, you'll be likely an artist or a writer or creative in some sense. And often the characteristics of a prophet are they're often quiet, they're often introspective, they're sensitive, they think deeply, They want God's future brought into the present. I'll give you a picture of someone who was a prophet, Martin Luther King. Told the truth. Even when no one wanted to hear it and everybody categorized him. Was a prophet. See, for a prophet, the most important thing is that people hear God's voice. Is that you? Jesus now, Jesus is the perfect prophet and shares that gift with some of us. Then Paul says the third thing is an evangelist, and and you kind of get a sense of this. This is someone who is willing to bring good news. And and if you're around someone who has the base gift of evangelist, whatever it is that they are doing, you are going to hear about it. If they went to a great restaurant, they'll tell you. If they went to a great movie, they'll let you know about it. If they had a great experience or a great trip, they're going to tell you about it and shove the pictures in your face, and you're going to be like, leave me alone. And if you meet up a, a, an evangelist in the wild with that gift, they're going to be maybe a salesperson or a thought leader. And I think, honestly, on social media, influencers are a form of their evangelists. A very famous evangelist is a guy by the name of Guy Kawasaki. Do you know who Guy Kawasaki is? Guy Kawasaki is a business leader, and he was hired by Apple um, in the 1980s, and I, I looked for the picture because I've seen a picture of it before, but his business card, and it had Apple, and then it said Guy Kawasaki, and you know how you put your title on your business card, and it was evangelist. He was an evangelist for Apple. Now he works for Canva, if you know what Canva is, and he's the lead evangelist for, for Canva, 
And, and I, I, I found an article in the Harvard Business Review where he described what it means for him because he's evangelizing for this product or whatever it might be. But listen to what he says. Apply this to what Jesus and Paul are saying here. My job at Apple was to proclaim the good news that Macintosh would make everyone more creative and productive. I wasn't just marketing a computer. I believed in it so much that I wanted others to experience it too. Now, as the chief evangelist of Canva, my job is to share a platform that democratizes design. Listen to what he says. Evangelists truly have the best interests of others at heart. And then notice what he says. You should evangelize for your organization and what it has to offer. In the social age, evangelism is everyone's job. Wow. He gets it. What's the characteristic of a person who's an evangelist? Often, they're outgoing, they're loud, they're fun, they're a connector. You don't know a friend of mine, her name's Susie, she lives in Virginia, and when you're around Susie, uh, she lets you know everything that's happening. She will ask the most invasive question you have ever heard in your entire life, and you don't hold it against her at all. You're just like, well, I'll only tell you why, (laughs) because she's an evangelist. She just draws things out of you. For an evangelist, the most important thing is that people know about the redeeming love of God. Is that you? Are you an evangelist? Now, Jesus is the perfect evangelist, and he shares that gift with some of us. Okay, those are the first three. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. These are, I would call them the pioneers. They're the people who go first. In fact, Paul, a little bit earlier than this in Ephesians, he said that, that actually when the gospel goes forward, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the people who go first, what they do is they lay their lives down and they lay their lives down as a foundation. If you, if you study the history of the Oklahoma land rush, those people who went first, what they did is they staked their claim and a massive, within a year, a massive percentage of those claims had been abandoned by those people because they moved on to something else. So who came next? How, do, how did you get the towns in Oklahoma? I'm sorry if you've been there. Um, how did you get them? Well, the, 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 you had the pioneers that started, right? But then the builders had to come and they had to put down the streets and they had to dig the latrines and they had to set up the shops and make things work. And those are the, that's the next two that Paul lists. There's the, the shepherd. The shepherd is uh, literally the word for someone who cares for sheep, so it's someone who cares for and loves and guides and is beside people when they're struggling, when they're hurting. And for, for a shepherd, the, the, if that's your core gift, there's no greater thing. Is it, you, you think, you know, there's just nothing more important than someone knowing that they're loved. And if you meet someone with the gift of shepherding in their as their, their base gifting out in the wild, it's often someone who's like a nurse or a therapist or a counselor. And honestly, people who have the, the gift of shepherding, they're very often, when you meet their, understand their characteristics, they're often introverted, they're caring, they're patient. They want to see people who know that they matter. Church that I was first the lead pastor of is a church in St. Louis, and we had a lady who was in our office, and her name was Jan. And Jan had the base gift of shepherding. When you were around Jan, you knew without a doubt that she loved you. It was like a superpower. I would watch it and I would go, how in the world do you do that? Every phone call that came in, 
every person, she would just empathize with every, and the person just would come, people would just pour in the office to talk to Jan because Jan made them feel so incredibly loved. Now, here's what we've done. We've often mistaken the office of pastor, so I'm in the office or role of pastor, the, the leader of a local church, for the gift of shepherd. And so we've said that it's one person's job instead of understanding that it's multiple people's gift. There's a lot to unpack there, and I'm not going to take the time to do it. You're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. A lot, I've discovered there are a lot more base gift shepherds in a local church than there are almost any other gift. The shep, here's, here's the most important thing for a shepherd. It's the most important thing is that people know that they are loved. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he shares this gift with some of us. Then the last one Paul gives us is the gift of teacher. So uh, the teacher is the person who wants us to know God's word. The teacher is the person who wants us to, to train us to know how to do God's word. And when you meet a teacher in the wild with the base gift, they're a teacher or an educator or a coach or a speaker or a trainer. And, and their characteristics are they like to study and learn and they're careful and exacting and they want you to know so that your life can be better. You've been around a teacher anytime someone has taken the time to make sure that you know and do God's word. And we have a lot of people who are teachers have the base gift of teaching. For a shepherd, the most important thing is that people know that they are a follower of Jesus and they understand it and they can put it into practice. And now Jesus is the one who guides us into all truth. He's the perfect teacher who tells us what the truth is and trains us to do it. And then he shares that gift with some of us. Now, let me summarize. You still with me? (laughs) That's a lot of biblical background. All of these are the shared ministry of Jesus. Jesus leads us. Jesus helps us to hear God's voice. Jesus shares the good news with us. Jesus cares for us. Jesus trains us. Here's a fundamental fact of how God works in the world. God always does what God does through people. So Jesus takes his ministry, gives it to the body of Christ, and does it through us. Now, this is a bit of a shift because you may have not heard these categories before. You, uh, you, you, you likely, if you've been in the church for a while, you go, okay, well, there's shepherds because we have a title. The, the guy up front, he's a pastor, so he's one of those. Um, we have teachers because you've been in Sunday school. We have evangelists because you've heard of Billy Graham. But then you go, what about, who are apostles, a prophets? What, what is that? Is that weird charismatic people? Who is that? What, what do they do? And we don't have a, a way to understand that. It, it, here's what it is. It's the pioneers and the builders building something together. And I promise you, you have one of those as a base gift. It's easy for you. It's natural for you. The body of Christ needs you to use your gift. And those others might not be quite as easy for you. Okay, big, big, long, a lot of content right there. Okay, what's happening when you do this. Now, there's two things that happen. One, it's outside of you, and the other is inside of you. Outside of you, here's what happens when you, when you use your gift. You figure out what it is, you begin to use it, and operate in it. Outside of you, the church, the body of Christ, is mobilized. Paul says it this way, those gifts are given to equip God's people for works of service. Meaning, you meet real, tangible needs in the world. One of the places this appears is in, is, is in Acts chapter 6. 
there's these group of widows, they're Hebrew widows and Greek widows, and the Greek widows were upset because they were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And it was a real need. No one knew how to meet it. And so the, the leaders of the church got together and said, we're going to appoint some people to make sure that this need is met. And if you follow the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus and then the letters of Paul, what you find out is that you and I, God actually has prepared in advance works of service for us to do. In other words, it's what we're saying to you all the time. A local church is put in a city to make a measurable difference in a city. Let me say that again. A local church is put in a city to make a measurable difference in that city. Okay, there we go. Thank you. We're to be mobilized to meet the needs in our city. If we left, if any local church is to leave a city, the city ought to go, no, no, don't leave. We'll have to raise taxes. We don't know how we're going to make this work. You'd make such a contribution to our city. The church is supposed to do that. Works of service. And we've said as a church, we want to every year serve 10,000 people a year. We're on our way to do that. It's just what the church does. So that happens outside of you. Inside of you, something else is happening. Paul says that we do this so that the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach, and he has these layers, unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature. In other words, he says, you do this so that you serve the city, but also something happens inside of you as you do it. You mature, you grow, you put down roots. In other words, as you do this, as you serve, as you use your gift, you are transformed. So two things are happening. People are being helped, and the church becomes a force for good in the community that no one can argue with. Remember how Jesus said that we're to do our good deeds so that people would see those good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven? That, Jesus is talking about this. People are being helped, and the church becomes a force for good in the community. And at the same time, you are being transformed, and healing and hope are pervading your person. So that's what's happening in you. Okay, so what's the end? And we're going to take communion here in just a moment. What, in other words, what's the, where is this leading us to? What's the goal? Paul, he says, well, he says listen, once you've once you figured out what your gifts are, you receive the gifts, the ministry of Jesus that he shares with you, and you begin to put it into practice, and the church is serving in the community, and you're being transformed along the way. He says, then what's going to happen is you're no longer going to be an infant who's tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. In other words, your options are you can stay an infant and it's just you go from new idea to new idea and you're prey to whatever new idea comes along. And he says, and then you grow to become mature where everybody plays. Super Bowl Sunday, it's obligatory, I think, to show a picture of the teams who are going to play. What would happen today I don't know who you're rooting for. I'm going to use the Chiefs here, okay? Because I'm a Fairweather fan. I'm going to pull for, yeah. Win in Chiefs territory, be a Chief. What would happen today if the, the 49ers lined up and they've got all 11 on the defense and out trots Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelce and Taylor Swift is cheering up in the... And that's it, right? It's just that. Just those two people come out to play. What happens? The Chiefs are going to lose today. I'm sorry. Why? Because not everybody is playing. The church is where everybody, we're to grow together to become a mature body, body where everybody plays. The whole team plays. Now listen, you know that when those 11 people are on the field, there's actually a whole 
list of other people who made it possible for them to be on the field. Right? It's all, all together. And, and why, why are you growing? Why are you growing? To what end? Well, this is what Paul says. He says, from him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and, is it on the screen? Grows and, can you read that with me? Grows and builds itself up in what? Love. What is it? Love. As each part does its work. Now, listen, what, what's the end of all of this? The, this, the church's calling card is love. Do you know of an, another organization that has love as its charter and its goal? No. You go to 1 Corinthians 13, it's the famous love chapter. You know what Paul says? He says, listen, if you, if you have all mystery, you fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you, if you give everything you possess to the poor, if you, you can do all of these wonders, if you have the faith that will move mountains, but you don't have love you have nothing. You have gained nothing. You, you, you have nothing. And he, then he says, in fact, there's faith and there's hope. But the greatest of faith, hope, and love, the greatest is what? Love, right? You love, you love people. The church becomes a, uh, an oasis of love for a hurting world. You love because you have received the love of God, and it becomes the love that you give back to each other and to the world. I want to be a part of that. Beautiful tradition developed in the church in Ephesus. It's handed down from Jerome, who's one of the church fathers. He said that, that as an old man, John, remember on the cross, if you remember this story, on the cross, Jesus looks at John, the disciple, and he says, take care of my mother, Mary. And so many people think that Mary lived and worshiped in the church in Ephesus with John. And Jerome says that when John, as an old man, if you've read his first, second, and third John, he says over and over again that we're love. You're the love. Little children love. And he said that as he aged and he couldn't walk anymore, he had to be carried to church in the arms of his disciples. And every time they would meet in the Sunday service at the meetings, he would always say the same thing. And everyone got tired of it. And he would say, little children love one another. Little children love one another. And finally, people got tired of it of the same words every single week, as like the same sermon every week, and they said, why do you always say this? And so he responded, he said, it is the Lord's command, and if this alone be done, it is enough. Love, love. Everybody plays.